Like in football, the idea is you got to get this ball down the field. And it's either got to go across a threshold or through the upright, right? But there's so much more to the fundamentals of the game, right? There's so much more to that. That's the base route. We know that if we don't get this ball into the end zone, we don't get it through the uprights, we don't win. And that's what it was for me in my life. If I don't live my life with honor, if I don't live with my life with integrity, and if I'm not helping others do the stream, I don't win. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. Many of you know the name Herb Sargent. He's the president and CEO of Sargent Corporation based out of Maine. He's an impact-driven leader through and through. He's a pillar of the Path for Growth community, and he's been on this podcast many times. Well, it wasn't long ago that Herb asked me the question, Alex, have you met Michael Bowman? And I told him that I had not yet met Michael. And he said, oh my gosh, you have to meet Michael Bowman. So I've learned that if Herb makes a recommendation like that, I should take it. And so Michael and I ended up having a phone call a handful of weeks ago now. And I learned that Michael is the president and founder of Bowman Legacies. This is an organization that does training and coaching for leaders and organizations, typically in the construction industry around the country. And almost immediately on that phone, call, a few things stood out. Number one was Michael's passion and energy. You're going to hear that in today's conversation. Number two was his wisdom. There's a lot of depth behind the insights that he has around team unity and leadership. And then number three was his heart. There's so many people that are involved in this space because it looks good or because it represents external or peripheral opportunity. But a lot of times their heart isn't in it. And man, you you can listen to Michael for two minutes and know, holy cow, this guy's heart is in it for the right reasons. And so it was out of that phone call that I was like, wow, I really want to share Michael's story and his perspective with our podcast audience. And so with that, here's my conversation with Michael Bowman. Well, Michael, I'm so stoked about this. I would love to start with a story because you're such a good storyteller that really characterizes why you are so passionate about the topic of leadership. So story is pretty easy. When I started to realize that it didn't matter where I was in the field of leadership that I could lead. And to also realize that I'm leading anyway because I'm leading my own personal life. I think one of the most powerful things that happened to me was to be able to see how my direct involvement in a losing team caused them to win. Even when I was not the leader. And one of the most powerful things that I ever saw, I was in a nonprofit situation. It was a kid's camp. We had a tug of war that actually had like 200 kids on it. It was so dangerous. <laughs> and the idea or the notion that uh, someone wasn't going to get hurt, you know, was not in my mind. But the one team I kept watching lost time and time and time and time again. And as they became, continued to lose, something came over my head. And I said, we're going to do this one more time. And the losing team was like, no. A lot of the kids were like, no, I don't want to do it again. I said, we're going to do it one more time. And so it was like the fifth time. And what I realized was I needed to jump in there. I needed to jump in there in such a way that I was going to give it my all. Mm -hmm. on a losing team. And what I ended up doing was we went ahead and said start, and sure enough, losing team starts getting drug over that line, you know, and it's muddy, the grass is just getting all over everybody, and the losing team's moaning. And I ran in there with everything I had and got in the front of that losing team, and with everything I had with me, I pulled and pulled and pulled Alex. And I screamed and gave it everything I had. And all of a sudden, the winning team, the one who had won time and time after again, we literally lifted them off the ground and drugged them across the line. It was so violent, and it happened so fast that all they had to do was let go, but they didn't. They were still holding on as we were dragging their bodies through the blood and the grass. And what I realized in that moment was, Sometimes, man, you've just got to have a positive attitude, and no matter where you are in the group leadership, even if you just entry level, whether it's an executive team, 
It doesn't matter if you work for a bank. It doesn't matter if this means at home. This doesn't matter if it's a community. But you jump in there and you give it your all. Everybody else sees that and they'll jump in. We did it five more times after that. And all five times, my team won. Mm-hmm. And the next five times, I never pulled at that rope. I only pretended. Mm-hmm. And I screamed. I mean, I would have got the Oscar for it. I would have got the Oscar. And I screamed and I pulled and I gave it everything I had. But I really didn't. I just pretended. And we still won time after time after time again. And what I learned from that, the listener, if you're, if you're listening right now, you're watching right now, your actions matter in a way you never thought possible. And I don't care what you think about yourself. You have greatness within you. And if you share that greatness, it will intimidate some. The bulk it will help and it will change people's lives in a way you never thought possible. And I don't care if today you're incarcerated and you're listening to this. I don't care if somehow you got a hold of this and you're homeless, you're couching it, or you've got nowhere to go. You've got greatness in you. And if you give it your all in a losing situation, other people will become addicted to it and do the same and follow suit. And you'll see change in the workplace, in the home, in your community, and in your own personal life in ways you never thought imaginable. Hmm. Man, I just had this funny feeling that I was like, if I tee him up to tell a story, I feel like he's going to crush it. <laughs> it turns out I was right. So that's great. Man, I, I love that because I think it so powerfully characterizes your passion for this topic and really this topic of leadership and developing leaders and bringing the greatness out that is within people. Like I know that's what you've dedicated in many ways your entire life to at this point. It was so interesting when we talked on the phone the other day, you kind of explained to me like, Alex, that is not where it started, but it is where I am right now. So I'd love for you to give people a little bit of like the winding, honestly, kind of absurd resume that you've walked to get to where you are right now. Michael my goodness it, it's such a long story but I I didn't necessarily have that uh, cookie cutter up and so I was raised to be masculine in a massive way I was raised to show up take over I was raised to be the toughest guy in the room and if I wasn't make it known that I was being intimidating and that's the leadership skills that I was given to go into the workplace. And so it, and it didn't work out so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, to that point, like whenever we were talking on the phone, I think the words you use, you said, Alex, I used to be a very angry and violent and hostile man. Is that kind of what you're referring to there? Yeah, that put a lump in my throat. And um, it's true. And I'm ashamed of it. But I'm also proud that I didn't stay there. Mm. You know, I'm proud that I didn't stay there. But I look back and I was intimidating in such a way. And, and I had a martial arts background. I was very good. I had a good friend of mine that was a semi-professional uh, kickboxer. And he and I sparred all the time. And, and so I took that and thinking, you know, because I'm tougher than most guys, rabbits guys, I'm going to intimidate you. And if you don't do things the way that I want, it's like, this might get a hold of you. And what I realized was I had gotten results. And we would get the job done, but a lot of times I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any really true allies to be there. And when I was down or I had a down moment, I didn't have anybody to cover their shield over me mm. because I never did that for anybody else. I didn't feel sorry for anybody. I didn't have any passion for anyone else. I, I didn't try to get inside anyone else's head or shoes. Why should they meet? Mm. And so when I was in need, I had no one there. And it was no one's fault but my own. And so I started to learn this. And it didn't come quickly. But I kept going to management every place that I went. And everything I started to realize, hey, I need to see the things that I'm doing wrong or I'm not getting results and take ownership over that and figure it out. And, and thank God I had a man named Perry Sanders come into my life. He, he looked at me one day and it revolutionized the course of my life. I was in a place where we had, we had moved home. We wanted to raise our kids close to our family. We've got 30 acres here. And, you know, this is where I was born and raised. And it's a good place to grow up. And even so, all that was true. I was really out the end of my road. Mm. I had come to the end of me. And I hated myself. I hated everything that I was about. Um, and I was just very lost. Mm. And he looked at me one day, and I'll never forget this. 
I was in a very vulnerable place, and he looked right at me and he said, "Don't lie, see greatness in you." And I have to be honest. At first, it offended me. It offended me because I so had been raised to hate myself that I could not see greatness in me. And when he said that in me, then he said it again. So he saw me kind of buff up. And he said, hey, I see greatness in you. And I'm going to tell you something. That greatness was placed in you by God. And for those of you listening today, and that's not your route, eat the meat and spit out the bones of what I'm about to say. He said, that greatness in you was placed there by God, not just to help you, not just to help your family, but to help others as well. He said, I see a leader in you. And I'm here to tell you something, Alex, with over 30 years of experience of leading people, counseling people, mentoring people, I have not had one person that sat in front of me, brother, that did not have some form of greatness within them. Mm-hmm. But it is our job to help people see that and help them enhance that so that they can move forward. And it revolutionized my life and why I speak this. So then after any role, whatever I took, that was my mindset. I have greatness within me. You have greatness within you. So why don't we use that greatness to whatever it is we put our hands to? And so, you know, I was in the non-for-profit space for a long time, and I left that because <laughs> we were starving. And so I became a driller in the mining industry when I'm drilling blast. But I took that concept of I have greatness within me. You have greatness within you. So let's make whatever we're doing the best thing we possibly can. And it, and it jettisoned me quickly through my career to uh, not only become a driller, but become a driller of clients and then go from there to the safety guy, to be known nationally and internationally as a person, to also help with a startup mining company that became the fastest growing mining company in the world at that time. I became their GM, and I mentored their safety people along the way, and then I became their cultural guru, they called it, and my job was simply to help and mentor people. And all of a sudden, through that, I started influencing LinkedIn and putting my opinion, my heart out there, being very vulnerable in people, knowing that I'm not perfect, knowing that I'm extremely flawed, and not coming at it as a know-it-all person, and things got kind of out of hand. <laughs> okay, well, get, add some context to that. What do you mean by kind of out of hand? People started coming to me and flooding me all over the world with needing help. Mm. With wanting so desperately to know either their business or their personal life was dying. But they knew there was greatness possibility there when they kept reaching out to me for help to do that. And one day my wife just looked at me and said, Michael, you can make a business of this. Mm. You can do this. And I said, well, what if it doesn't work? And she looked at me and I can take your GPS location on a country road. We were taking a walk on and she said, well, what if it does? Mm. <laughs> and so Bowman Legacies, our business was born. And what we really believe in, that there's no such thing as work-life balance or just life. And in it is work and life. Mm. And if you develop yourself personally, it helps you at work. If you develop as a leader, it helps you at home. So personal development and leadership development is one and the same, and we can demystify it by showing you it's not that hard. We're just so inundated. We're still holding on white knuckles. Whatever that problem is, it's hard for us to see outside of it. I remember wrestling in high school, and one of my friends, I mean, I just, I'm wrestling this gorilla, and he's trying to take my head off, and when I come out, my buddy asked me, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? And I'm like, I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> but that guy's trying to kill me in there. Well, then my buddy, he goes in and he wrestles. And I started to see all the things that he wasn't doing. And before he started to come off the mat, I'm like, why didn't you do this? Why you didn't do that? Why didn't you didn't do this? What I came to realize is getting on that outside, I could see so much more of the possibilities he had because I wasn't in the situation fighting firsthand. Mm. And so often when we are losing, we don't realize that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And we internalize and secure ourselves. And our business is all about getting in the muck and the, the rough parts with you because your mess doesn't scare up. Mm. Because we've lived a lifetime of mess. 
and we've gotten through it and we're here to help you and that's that's our journey that's our story in a nutshell <laughs> i love that one of the things that made me so excited about this conversation was I've been kind of enamored with a a pretty simple question lately, and that's the question, how do people change? And I was really stoked to talk to you because I feel like part of what you and your team do is you get a front row seat to watching people change their life, right? And it's one of the things that we get to do at Path for Growth that like, it's literally the reason why I wake up every morning, right? With the work that we get to do, we get a front row seat to transformation, like absolute life-changing, generosity-driven transformation. It's just one of the greatest gifts. And I was so excited to talk to you because you're in that same position where you get to observe that. But not only that, like I love talking to someone that's not just an expert, but rather they're a practitioner. And it's so interesting to hear how like you've walked your own story of transformation. And so I'd first love us to kind of examine what are some of the principles and maybe takeaways from your story that we can then extrapolate into other circumstances. And so I guess where I'd like to start, one of our coaches kind of repeatedly says this within our membership community. He says, belief drives behavior. And I believe that that is so like remarkably true, right? That like so often we think it's a behavior modification game. And in reality, we've got to get to the beliefs that are driving those behaviors. And so as a little bit of a case study, I would love to know what do you think were the undergirding or overarching beliefs that drove a version of Michael that was hostile and angry and violent? First and foremost, I had a very powerful experience in high school by myself with God. So it wasn't driven by my family. We didn't go to church. And so for me, and again, like I said, Ethan needs to get out the bones because I'm not trying to sell a religion here. I'm just, this is my story. And so it gave me a, a fundamental truth of what integrity looked like, mm-hmm. what honor looked like, what truth looked like. And the expectation on my own personal life to live that out. So that was the basis of change. Because when I would measure myself up against that, and still to this day do, I can see where I fall short mm-hmm. and where I need to measure up and where I need to tighten up. And so for me, that has been my journey to continue to strive to achieve more within myself and then have that belief in others that they can do the same thing. So that that's the root fundamentals for me. Right? Just like in football, the idea is you got to get this ball down the field. And it's either got to go across a threshold or through the uprights. Right? But there's so much more to the fundamentals of the game. Right? There's so much more to that. But that's the base root. We know that if we don't get this ball into the end zone, we don't get it through the uprights, we don't win. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was for me in my life. If I don't live my life with honor, if I don't live with my life with integrity, and if I'm not helping others to do the same, I don't win. Yeah, so that's really powerful because it seems like most people's journey of transformation almost always starts with a collision with truth, right? And it's like when you come face to face with what is real and true, and for me, and and I know this is true for you too, it's like what a collision with truth is, is a collision with Jesus. And it's pretty wild how it's like, man, I've never met someone that actually collided with who Jesus actually was, not with who they expected him to be or what their church growing up told them he was or what they perceived other people say he was, but with who he actually was. I've never seen anyone collide with that person and and not leave transformed and changed radically, like absolutely upside down transformation. And so I guess into that, like I'd love to know, like, what was it within the character of Jesus and within the character of who God was that spurred such internal upheaval, Michael? <sighs> Man, you, you just did so much. And it, it just touches my heart because that's the basis of everything that we do. Obviously, if I hit my thumb the way with a hammer, you're going to hear all kinds of beautiful languages. <laughs> knit together in a poetic form that might, you know, disrupt your ears. But to be honest with you, it's his loving consistency with me. Mm. It's that still whisper that gets me back on the path. 
even when I don't love myself, even when I'm making decisions that aren't fruitful for myself mm. and that loving understanding. And I, and I think about when Jesus was talking about that, and there's so much depth in that story that a lot of people don't realize how powerful it was. But in long story short, there was a man who had a son and that son wanted his inheritance. He wasn't even the oldest. He wasn't ready. He wasn't supposed to have it, but the dad gave it to him anyway. He once squandered it on the worst thing. And when he was out of money, he was out of friends. And he found himself as a, as a slave, more or less. And he was eating with pigs because that's the only food that he could get. So he was fighting it for the pigs for slop. And he was filthy. And he said, you know, it's better as a servant of my dad's house than it is here. So I might as well go home. But the powerful thing about that story, when Jesus was telling that story, he knew his audience. And there were people there who weren't allowed to touch a thing. Hmm. This is the importance of it. It wasn't just he was in pig slop. You were not even allowed to associate with people who raised pigs. And this young boy did. He did the worst of the worst. And then he associated with the people that no one was supposed to talk to. And when he came home and his father saw him far off, filthy, used up, rejected by his own society, he took off his pure clean cloak, his covering, as the head of the household ran to his son, covered the distance with his son and threw that clean, beautiful thing over this filthy, quote-unquote, son. And he said, let's have a party. My son is returned. Hmm. And that, my friend, is the kingdom of heaven. That's that thing that you talk about when somebody has that moment. And I've had that moment over and over and over again in my life. I've been the prodigal. I've been ashamed of myself. And then all of a sudden, something beautiful happened. And God says, I love you anyway. Let's get back on the path. Mm. And that has eternally changed my life and the life of others. Just like you said, I've not met one person, no matter what their thoughts were in their mind, about Christianity, about the church, about people that they were jaded with. The minute they meet that God, it changes their life. And it's a catalyst that continues to burn. Mm. And it, it revolutionizes me daily. Mm. So that's powerful because I think a lot of times we reflect on the prodigal son story and we think, okay, so I have this single encounter that dramatically changes me from the inside out. And then from there on, my life is up and to the right. And I love, man, it's one of the things that I so appreciate about the way that you communicate is you use militant language. And the language you just used is it revolutionizes me daily. And like, I want people to get a picture in their head. Like this is a dark horse, George Washington style revolution, right? Like you are like absolutely like rebellion against the status quo. And you're saying that's every day. And, and so can you just elaborate more on to what daily revolution looks like? So Daily Revolution for me is because I was raised in such a way that, like I said, I was raised to hate myself. And that internal voice that I hear from the child abuse that I suffered is, is in an echo chamber of hopelessness in my mind. Mm. And as I continue to grow up and realize I need to reprogram my pre-programming and I need to speak those things into my life that never work. Mm. So I create a new echo chamber in my mind. You see, when we, we get raised a certain way, we believe everything everybody says when we're little. Mm. And that internal voice causes us to be so deeply in our subconscious, we start making choices that adheres to whatever that is. Whether you were filled with hope and you're the greatest thing ever, when you start making choices, you're built up, you're a stagnant, you're just going out, you're killing it. But if you are beat down and beat down and beat down, that becomes the internal narrative and you constantly think you're a loser. But when I hear that every morning, when I think about the prodigal son, I realize I've got a new day to create a new me and to fight and battle against those things that assail against me in such a way that would drag me down and cause me to make decisions according to that narrative I was raised with. Mm. And so it is a constant revolution. And through that constant revolution, knowing that I made grace helps me to pour it out in other people. Mm. I don't pass judgments on people in their walk where they're at because I've been there. Whether it's drug use, whether it's, I mean, I was almost arrested. I've been fired because I beat up a manager. I should have been, I should have called the cops on me. 
I've been there. So how can I judge that person? But what I can do is choose to realize if that revolution is happening in me, why can't it happen to somebody else? And why can't I be the catalyst to do that? What are the ramifications of daily revolution for the life of a leader? Continual growth possibilities. Endless amounts of your ability to grow as a human being and fashion yourself in such a way that you're getting sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper. Mm. And then realizing that those truths that you're learning, you can pour into someone else. Because when we're alone, that's one thing. It's very one-dimensional. But if you can pour yourself into others, let me tell you something. You have now taken your potential and grown it in such possibilities that you and others will prosper because of it. Mm -hmm. I love that you highlight that it's growth potential and growth possibility because it's one of the things you and I talked about on the phone. It's like, man, it just... It almost feels bad to say, but like a thriving prayer life and a living connection with the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, it almost feels like it's this wild competitive advantage that that so few people are accessing. It's like, you mean to tell me there's a God that knows everything, controls everything, and sees everything, and he's not distant and unavailable. He's like wildly accessible. And, and and so I get to access him, right? Not even just in my morning, but throughout my day. So I'd love for you to get really practical. Like what are the habits or rhythms or, or what are the methods that make up what we're talking about as daily revolution here, Michael? Mindset, the moment you wake up, I don't care if you're a morning person or not, stop making excuses. And if you're a person of faith, I'm going to tell you something. Every morning that I wake up, I say, God, before my feet hit the floor, I am yours and this day is yours. Mm. It sets my mindset to understand who I serve and what I'm about. Does that make me perfect? Does that make me infallible and unable to make mistakes and errors and go do things that Paul even said it himself? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. This is a guy who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody, right? But what that does is it gives me a metronome to go by. It gives me a rhythm to walk by and to live by. When I know I'm starting that day looking up, it's hard to look down and feel sorry for myself. Mm. Associated with that, I, I think we live in a world today. One of the things we always say with Empath for Growth is like there's a difference between self-improvement and selfish improvement, right? And man, selfish improvement is rampant today, right? And we can see it all over. It's it's like me getting better for the sake of me getting better and then making sure all of you know about it. And I think a lot of leaders that are bought into the idea of humble, generous, meek, gentle leadership, see that and they're like, that, man, that is the world at work. I want nothing to do with that style of selfish improvement. But it's almost like we don't want any of that like aggression and that go-getterness and that striving mentality and that hustle culture. And so we swing all the way to the other side of the pendulum and we become like milk toast, right? It's just like this bland, like sad, depressed, nihilistic, like, well, woe is me. I can't influence the world. And it's like, I don't see any example of that in Jesus, right? At all, right? Like this guy was a warrior king in so many ways that was taking ground for the kingdom in a radically new and different way. And that's, that's what I love about the way you talk about this is like, man, there's, you still have the same sense of aggression and violence. It's just been honed. And, and so can you speak to what it looks like to approach each day with a sense of maybe humble aggression or with a sense of expectation? Because I sense so much in that of that in you, Michael. First and foremost, when I live a life of abuse, both to myself and others, and then accepting that, that was violent. Mm. That was aggressive. That was constant. And if I don't go meet that every day with that same sense, understanding that that's what it took to create that man, if I don't come against it and counter-strike, I'm going to lose. And I don't have time to lose. Time literally is money. (laughs) In in, in every way, when we look at it, it's a very deep concept. And so in that, I have got to encourage myself because I can't rely on anyone else to do that. 
And I go to the word to do that. And there's ways that we fight that stuff. Like I said, reprogramming or pre-programming is not a small thing. It is a discipline for some of us. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tell a lot of my Christian clients, there's four pillars to our faith. Reading the word. That keeps that connectivity with you and God. It keeps the phone line open. So you can hear his voice. And then you, when you do hear his voice, you know it's him because you can measure it up against the word of God. Prayer. Prayer in of itself is a lost art. We've forgotten how to pray and listen. We've forgotten how to pray and fast because we're in such a fast-paced world. We're constantly inundated with busyness and noise. This is that place where we, like a priesthood, center ourselves and fight ourselves and give that time to God. Mm. And then there's obedience. That's a hard one because sometimes God asks us to go to places we don't want to go. Mm. He asks us to change things in our personal life that we don't want to change. So obedience is vital. And then lastly, praise. I don't care if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. It's just as simple as having that intimate moment. This is that moment where the, a small child raises his hand to you and wants to be lifted up and be close to your heart. That's praise. Hmm. That's for us to be able to have that intimate I love you moment. And it can just be as simple as you in your shower first thing in the morning going, I love you, boo, over and over again. You don't have to go, you know, they have to be light, leave the carpal airs and all this, you know, production we make it out to be. And that simplicity of those four pillars, as long as you continue to keep them in your life, and as you realize you got off the path, just get back on the path. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. And it's through that consistency, you're going to see things change and move. And I've seen it in my own business. The more I try to stick to those four pillars, I see my life go better. I see my marriage seem so easy. I see my communication with my kids easier. I feel this communication with my clients, and I'm able to bring them in places that I myself would not drag them into deep waters like that, no matter how hard I try. Mm-hmm. But when I stick to those four pillars, all of a sudden they're willing to just dive in with me all of a sudden. And so for as Christians, this is the way that we war. This is the way that we battle. This is the way we sharpen our sword. This is how we fortify our shield. This is how we put on our armor every single day. You see, like you said before, Jesus was a rebel. He was a warrior. And every day of his life was in jeopardy. Because they had gotten such a status quo. And in many ways, the Western church has has fallen asleep. Mm. And we've forgotten who Jesus truly was. And I believe once we institute these things in our life and live in this way, we see miraculous. The world sees the universe, right? The law of attraction. But I believe God made the universe. I believe the universe works. I believe that because it has no choice but to work as God designed it to. Mm-hmm. And so many people in this world are so close to the truth. Listener, listen to me. It just takes you to influence them to take them even higher. Hmm. So we're talking to a lot of very like driven, honestly disciplined, high achieving individuals right now. And one of the things that I think can be a real temptation or a struggle for that person is to check all of the boxes, but then to look up and say, I've been checking a prayer box for three months now. Uh, just to make sure that I check the box. But if I'm being honest with myself and others, my heart wasn't in it. So what do you do or what do you advise people do to keep their heart in it, right? Like to make it something that's a passionate, like overflowing with life activity and not just a legalistic discipline that they're sticking to. I think one of the most powerful scriptures or lines in, in the Bible is, oh God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And when I read the word, I don't overcomplicate it. And I say, God, I'm not taking a here. I literally say that. I am not, I am doing this to, to be able to slip into your presence because I know you've got more for me than I want it. Hmm. I want it. And I know that means more influence. This isn't about money. This isn't about anything other than influencing others and bringing and adding to and enhancing the echo chamber of hope. And I know I can be a vital role of that. But if I don't, I become vulnerable in that battle and I can become lost. And that's that's some fear in my heart. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm. I'm a man of ego. I am a man that, that I know, like there's things that I'm like, I know I can do that. 
and I know I can do it better than you. Mm. <laughs> I have to keep that guy in check because the most mass effect I've ever seen is when I'm paying homage to others and to God, and then things happen in ways I could have never manifested. Mm. So when you find yourself just going through the motion, realize that's a trap. Mm. And it's time to wake up, mm. get back on the path, and talk openly to God. We hide ourselves from God sometimes. God wants to be there for us. Be honest and open. Demystify all this. It's simple. Just as simple as showing your heart to God and opening up. And it does, God already knows, but it does more for you. That stuff has to come confirmation out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So speak those simple truths to God and say, hey, look, man, I wasn't feeling it today. I've been feeling sorry for myself for the last couple of months, and I want to get back on the path. Hey, look, I've just realized that I'm not doing things and functioning in the way that you would have me to do, and I've been more manipulating, trying to push towards open and following your lead. God help me. Mm. He already knows that. He already knows that. Mm. And then just get back on the path. Just that simple. Let's say you're coinciding with a CEO of a 40-person company, okay? And it's a growing company and you're not, you're not meeting this person from the stage. You've like invited them over to your house to have coffee on the back porch of your 30 acres. And you two are sitting there and as you are so effective at doing, you get this person to open up and they say, man, I believe everything that you're saying. I should be doing better. I want to be doing better. It's just the business is growing like crazy right now. We're hiring people and like with all the people we're hiring, like there's more problems than ever. Right. And like, there's so many things that demand my attention. In addition to that, like I want to make sure I'm making time for my wife and I want to make sure I'm being really intentional with my wife. And we have two kids and our third one is going to be born next month. And so mornings, this morning quiet time thing, like I think that's actually a myth because people don't actually have that time is what this person says. And so they say, Michael, like I want what you're talking about. I just don't have time. What do you tell that person or how do you counsel that person on your back porch, Michael? Well, like so often that I don't have, right? It doesn't matter if it's time. It doesn't matter if it's money. It doesn't matter if it's influence. It doesn't matter. That I don't have time thing is an impoverished thinking. Mm. And what we have to understand is now you have become reactive to life instead of proactive. That's the way we have to start. Realizing that, okay, life is happening to me. I'm not happening to life. Either. And I am out of control. And it just feels like one day is bleeding into the next. That's when we need to take control. And I would just give something practical. Can you, for me, just get up a half an hour early? A half, that's 30 minutes. Give me 30 minutes, and in a month, less than a month, a quarter of your anxieties are going to go. Pray for that 30 minutes. Read a psalm. Read something from the New Testament. Read Proverbs. Don't overcomplicate it, and you're going to do great things. I love that you highlight not overcomplicating it because I think we've got some very driven people that could be like, okay, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes and I'm going to dive into the book of Revelation. It's like, whoa, hang on, Sparky. Like, let's let's start with the, the fundamentals and let's just start with... Okay, let's slow down. Yeah, that's right. Like we don't need... And I, and I can get into that myself. Okay, I love that we started here and I think it's so important because I know you're just as passionate about this as we are. Like we just always say, like if you're not personally growing, there's no way you're effectively leading, like at least sustainably. And so to your point from the beginning, like people ask all the time, like, so is Path for Growth more of like a personal growth organization or a leadership and business organization? And my honest answer to that is I reject that question, right? because they are all the same thing. And if you're not personally growing, there's no way you're effectively leading. Why is it that you think that connection exists? That like the most effective leaders are those who are on a path for never ending continuous growth in their personal life, Michael? If you're a 40 year old professional football player, you're an old man. My daughter's a ballerina. And if you're 30 years old and you're a prima ballerina, you're the old lady. Mm. And subject to injuries, and life becomes very unsafe for you now. You know, if you're in the UFC and you're 40 years old, not everybody's a Yoel Romero. 
You know, the guy's a freak of nature. They even studied his body and said, hey, this guy's bone density, the way he's built, he's not human. <laughs> My whole point to that is leadership and personal development is something that you can do for the rest of your life. Mm. There's no expiration date. Now imagine this, if you will, especially you young people. Those of you who are in your 20s and you're thinking, hey, you know what? I agree with that. We don't have time. Well, no, if you invest in yourself now, can you imagine where you're going to be at 30 and 40? And as I mentor businesses, a lot of the times I've been asked, hey, research this guy. Is he a leader? Is he a guy I can rely on? My goodness. You start now with this. You start facing some of those dark places in your life and don't do it alone. There is no end to the possibilities that you have in your life. Mm. And I don't understand the stipulation why there's a separation there. We like to compartmentalize things. But, you know, the samurai, if we learn from them, there was no difference between them being a samurai or them farming at home. They were samurai. Mm. (laughs) It was one. It was one life. But in it was all sorts of things. You know, Miyamoto Masashi was one of the greatest samurais who ever lived, and he would talk about, hey, the samurai needs to understand art. He needs to understand music. He needs to understand farming. He needs to, it wasn't singularly about that one object, the samurai sword. And we get so white-knuckled in our own lives, whether that's at business or at home, and we think things are so compartmentalized. And what we don't realize is if we work on personal development, we start to grow and learn how to lead. A lot of these small foxes that are spoiling the vines in our lives will wait. Mm. With that, you now get to coincide and coach and work with, consult leaders around the country. I'd love for us just to maybe take a few moments and park on what are some of the principles or practices that you constantly observe in the lives of the organizations that you coincide with that you're just like foaming at the mouth passionate about, that you're like, I think every leader needs to know this principle, needs to understand this concept. Are there some that come to mind, Michael? Right top of the mind is getting the dirt with your people. Mm. My goodness. And it doesn't matter because we, I've coached chemicals companies. I've coached advertising companies. I've coached, you know, dirt companies. I've coached companies and organizations all over the game. It doesn't matter. This one concept of feeling like the executive staffers and those that are actually in the field or whatever your version of the field is, getting the work done, there's this veil, this separation, and there's this hierarchy. But when you're in battle on the front line, there's no hierarchy. It doesn't matter what your rank is when you're to the right of me, and, and we're linking so skills. We're in this together. Mm. And we're all pushing towards that same goal. Why aren't we all treated the same? Why doesn't the CEO president get down and get in the dirt with his people so that he can know how they live, how they breathe, and how his decisions affect them? Mm. And the inverse is true. When you're just entry level in an organization, stop complaining about leadership because you don't understand the weight of the mantle they carry. But instead, start bringing real answers to the table and you will become a value and you will move up. That in and of itself is one of my biggest pet peeves. As if to say, because I'm a Harvard grad, because I graduated from Yale, because I've done this or I've done that, I'm somehow elevated. But who better to tell you how to get work done than the guys who are doing it? Man, I think that's so good. And I think principally, most of the people that are listening to this podcast absolutely agree with you. And then simultaneously, they hear all this content about delegation, right? And effective delegation and working on the business, not in the business. And they know that, man, the only way I move this business forward as a CEO is if I do the strategic planning meetings and make sure that I'm thinking ahead and make sure that I'm staying healthy myself. How, how do you reconcile those two? Because I think people often find themselves in, in a tension associated with that. Like, I believe I should be in the trenches with my people and I know I've got to be leading. And the result of that oftentimes is, is what I would refer to as entrepreneurial guilt, right? Is they constantly feel like they're not where they should be. Right. So if they're in the field, they're like, oh, I'm working in the business. I should be working on the business. And if they're working on the business, they're like, man, I should be in the field. How do you how do you reconcile that tension, Michael? It's first by recognizing it. Take the guilt out of it because we all get busy. 
and it happens to every leader. Mm -hmm. This is all about, again, just getting back on that path. You as a leader, what you want to do is get yourself into a place where you can have beyond the 90-foot view and free yourself up. I, I, I tell every leader that I have, you at least have four people that you can influence or that are within your realm of influence that you can link shield with on a mighty way. And I call those the four horsemen of your apocalypse. Hmm. So as I continue in the coaching, I'm going to ask, how are your four horsemen? So they, they have contact. And then it's delegation to those trusted people who comprise people who are smarter than you, people who do the job better than you, people who are gifted on a higher level than you, people that make you look good, and they're there. And sometimes you've got to build yourself up to get to that place where you're for to help you to do that. But once you're there, that gives you that freedom to be able to walk away from that executive. You're the president. You're the leader. The place where you can come and visit those people that you know are sacrificing so much of their life to move your endeavor forward. Mm. And then you can take that time to actually watch how they do the job so that you can make decisions on a higher level. You've got to understand they're not there to serve you. You're there to serve them. Mm-hmm. And when you start to switch that around as a leader and you begin to serve everyone else, you're having that insatiable desire to see everyone in the room win. And when you have that desire, let me tell you something. They start pulling for you in such a way they're like, where do we bury the body? (laughs) And you find a faithfulness there because the template in corporate America is I am a slave. And I come here and I work for this agreed amount of salary or hourly pay to do my job, and I will be abused here and take advantage of. Mm-hmm. But what you don't realize, the extreme power of seeing the king come down from on high, dad come down from on high, leader come down from on high and say, how are you doing? You're doing an excellent job. How can we make your life better? Mm-hmm. And then don't stop with words. Back it up with action. That's right. And then people realize that their, their, their opinions matter. They realize that they're a part of something far greater than they ever thought being, and they realize they're not building a business. They're building a purpose and a legacy. Mm. And then you've created a beautiful thing that, that has more momentum and more longevity than you ever thought possible. You're building something bigger than you. Mm. It's one of the litmus tests that I have for my company and have kind of recognized the need to establish for myself personally, because I'm so capable of deviating from what I want to be in terms of leadership. And so I just ask myself on a semi-regular basis, is there any job in our company that I'm unwilling to do? And if the answer is no, and I say, no, I'm willing to do this stuff, then I tell myself, okay, go do it. Right. Like the the evidence that you're willing to do something is that you do it. Right. And it doesn't mean that I'm spending every hour of the day going and doing the coaching calls or things like that, that other people on our team do, because they're trained professionals that do that stuff. But the minute I allow an unwillingness to go to any level of the organization, I've abdicated any leadership responsibility for the organization, I think. And and I just appreciate how you highlighted that principle of like, man, there's so much value for the team, but also for you of just like getting to where the people are. If leadership is about people, well, go to where the people are. I think that's such a powerful reminder that we always need to return to. I also love that you use the phrase linking shields in your answer, because that phrase is how I heard about you. I'll never forget, I got on a call with Herb Sargent, who is just a good friend of both you and I. He's just an integral member of our community at Path for Growth and is like literally when I think of the phrase impact driven leader, Herb Sargent is one of the people that comes to mind. It's one of the faces that comes to mind. But then also beyond that, and I think Herb would be cool with me saying this, Herb is good. The organization is way better, right? Like that, what, what they've built up in Maine and now across five states, it's just, it's one of the most impact driven companies I've ever been around. It's the air is different up there in some ways. It's just so cool. And so with that, I got on a call with Herb one time 
And he just started using the phrase linking shields. And he said, Alex, this guy, Michael Bowman, oh my gosh, you've got to meet him. He came in and did this talk for our team. And he did this talk on linking shields. And he said, Alex, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And it's like, it's not like Herb is working with a bunch of people that are criers, right? Like these are some, these are some pretty like gruff, burly, intense, like roll up your sleeves, men and women. And so I was just so interested to ask you about this topic. Like, what is linking shields? What does that mean? So you see it on our logo. Obviously, it's a shield, but it actually comes from, a lot of people believe it comes from the Romans as far back as them, but it goes back as far as the Greeks and maybe even the Mycenaeans. But the fact of that matter was the Romans really mastered it. And they had a shield that the Bavarians, their enemies, called the door. And it was a big rectangle door-looking shield. Not like the ones we see on the like shows like Vikings or these medieval fields we see. It, the biggest problem with it is like they don't cover the whole area, but the Romans said, hey, let's build this shield that covers the whole person. Now, not just that, let's put, let's put a ring on one side and a hook on the other. So when I'm standing next to you, I can hook my hook into your ring, and now we share the weight of things. And if you're hurt, I can still have my shield and your shield over you and protect you hmm. because we're sharing the load. Very well. But when we move forward in selfishness, when we decide that we want to just think eternally, like so much that we see in the world today, you know, by the time someone's 20 now, they've mastered the self, right? When we choose to do that, we put a hole in the front line. Hmm. And then whatever we're doing, whether that's our personal lives and our family or our business, we're susceptible because now there's a chink in our armor and something bad can happen. When we look at this in the heavy industries, someone can die. Mm. If we're not linking shields together and we're not moving forward, we're speaking the same language, looking the same direction, marching with the same stance, taking the same ground, the moment that we become disengaged with that idea, even if we don't like the guy to the left or right of us that we're linking children with, it does not matter. But once we decide to get so much in our head, we pull out and become disengaged, people can die. Mm. And if you've been on a site where there's not enough of a man to put in a five-gallon bucket, that changes your perception. That's a human life. Now, as we compute this to our own personal lives, we had buddies growing up that I, I still have today. I have a friend of mine, Tim, and we used to say when Tim stands up, people fall down. And anytime we were anywhere, I always know, and still to this day, if I walk around with Tim, I know in childhood this man will give his life for me. Mm. That if my daughter is in the room, he's going to give his life for my daughter if he has to. You see, we forgot what it's like to link shields with each other in such a way that we're putting integrity and honor first and realizing there's no greater love than a man to give his life for his brother. Mm. And we need to start to pull that forward. When we can put that into our business, when we can put that in our personal lives and our friendships or our families, I'm telling you what, you start a revolution. This brings us right back to the beginning of the conversation. That word revolution, rebellions get squashed. Re revolutions change the world around us. They change the dynamic of how the world actually works and functions. I love this image of linking shields. And it's so interesting how, especially if you observe companies as they scale, it's so, I feel like prevalent that when we're starting off and we've got anywhere between five to 10 people, it, one of the things that's so gratifying about working in an organization that's that small and scrappy is your shields are almost linked by necessity. It's kind of yes. like, yeah, I want to eat tonight. I want my family to eat tonight and I want your family to eat tonight too. So like, I, it really, honestly, like I'm willing to put all our differences aside, let's link shields and make this happen. And it's wild how as organizations scale and grow, and now we've got 50, 100, or even 300 people, we start to believe this lie, I think, that, oh, we don't have to be linked anymore. And, and I don't know exactly why that is, but we get complacent on it. What do leaders do to guard against that complacency and make sure that their people are staying linked as their organization grows? First of all, we go back to just being aware that it happened and being in discipline 
of both thought and intentional deed that you are making sure that this doesn't happen. This is how you do that. As you scale, I'll believe businesses, and I've coached a lot of businesses that have what I call the anaconda syndrome. The snake gets so big, the head doesn't know what the bell is doing anymore. <laughs> and not only that, the anaconda gets so big that its own bone structure cannot handle the weight of its body, and that infrastructure will crush. So now that snake has to go the path of least resistance. He either has to go to water or spend a lot of his time in trees where he can kind of equal out his weight here and there. But if he goes up on land, or if he goes anywhere that he would love to go, they can kill him, and he'll suffocate. What we have to do is, as we continue to grow those same principles, we need to replicate them. Mm. So I have an organization right now where we had one leader, and the previous leader was very negligent and did not do his job, and the whole staff was rambunctious, and they were really wanting to scale. When we brought order back to that, we replicated that leader and made sure that things that made him successful, he was mentoring into the leader that took his place and that replicated that into every new area that they grew into. And those leaders stayed connected. So when that organization would blossom off into something new, that new leader that went in was already trained, ready to go, replicated the process and was constantly reporting back as if each section was a business in and of itself. Hmm. Each section stayed hungry. Like you said, somebody put these said, oh, it was so much easier when it was just us four and no more, man. I loved it. I loved the culture. I felt like I was something part of something big. But what we neglect to do is we, we go off, start doing our thing, put sales, push production. Now we need more people to build production and we don't build leaders. Mm-hmm. And we don't build on that tribal nature of man that is so necessary. If you can keep that alive in each section of your organization as you continue to grow, everyone will understand their purpose and they'll feel a part of the prosperity of that organization and how it moves forward. Mm. But you have to continue to replicate it. Keep them hungry. Keep filling them with fire. Keep forming leadership concepts in them. Keep growing them insatiable about seeing them win and you will continue that snake now the infrastructure that snake will grow and it can go wherever it wants That's true. It's it's one thing to like, oh, we read a book once a quarter or we send out a podcast or send out a video. And it's like, man, that's one thing. But if you can create a culture that encourages voracious learning and growth, Oh my gosh, you're going to set people on fire for an adventure that they've experienced nothing like. And obviously that's going to have ramifications for your organization. But even more than that, that's going to have ramifications for their life, for their family, for their finances, like everything, because they're now turning their own personal flywheel, which is just so powerful. Let me ask you this. Think of the most effective leaders you've ever met and worked with. What do they have in common in terms of who they are? And what do they have in common in terms of what they do? Of who they are, they have a deep sense of integrity, a deep sense of honor. The people that I admire most understand that they are not know-it-all to everything. And they're so receptive to hear from even the most entry-level employee or person, whoever is on their team. They want to hear from it because they're starving for knowledge. They're starving to hear, they're starving to grow, and they're very empathic in their understanding of the people that are coming up along with them. Mm. Those are the characters. Now, the habits of that person is to be consistent and not be afraid to have accountability partners within the organization. When you are the king, it's hard sometimes to put our egos aside to hear from people. That's right. I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to hear about the things that are going on. I just came out from a company called Petticoat and Schmidt. And one of the things that the president does is he goes out in the field and he says, hey, man, how did we fail you this week? How did we win this week? And then how can we make this better? Mm. And to see that kind of leadership consistently, it goes a long way. Also, the ability to say that I am sorry and I'll make it right. Mm. That humble ability to stay, stay humble but stay hungry. Continue to look down the path and be hungry to move forward, but at the same time humble enough that when you really screw it up, and you will, that you're going to openly and honestly apologize, made it, then create action items to improve. Mm. 
Can you double click on the word honor? Because you've used it a few times now, and it's one that I feel like we use less and less today. So I'd love to get inside your mind of what that actually means to you. I'll tell you a story. When I was a kid, there was a mulatto kid that was on our bus. And there was a young man on there that called him a racial slur. And so instead, because of the color of his skin, he was going to beat this kid up. When you saw this kid, this, this poor little boy couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper sack. So I sat with him on the bus. And I told this other young man, if you're going to touch him, you got to touch me first. Well, that went on for about two weeks. And the, the bully went and got his cousin, who was six foot six. <laughs> and he came on the bus, and the word was out. Hey, the guy's name was Willie. He said, Willie is going to come and, and fight you on the bus. I said, all right, but everyone on that bus said, I've got your back, except when Willie got on the bus. <laughs> and I was sitting in the second to last seat on the bus, and everybody, even the guys behind me, they moved four seats ahead, and they were doubled up, and some were four to a seat. And the last three seats were empty, except for me and this kid sitting next to me. So I scooted my legs out, and I said, DJ, you can go. And DJ said, let me tell you something. I said I'd stand by your side, and that means if he comes here, he's going to have all of me he wants and more. We're in this together. That, my friend, is an honor. Hmm. Doing what you say you're going to do. Be the type of person people can rely on and realize this life ain't easy. Hmm. There are times you're going to have to make sacrifices. There are times you're going to have to put your emotions, your needs aside so that others may flourish and move forward. Any good mom or dad will tell you that. Any great single mom that's out there that's fighting like crazy to see her kids move forward and go to college and she's got two jobs and she's hacking it out of the wilderness with no hope, that's honor. Hmm. Michael, I'm trying to think of how do I follow that up with another question? (laughs) I think that's so powerful because I think it requires a steadfastness of character that is just so different today and I think so necessary. So I guess maybe an interesting place to go from there is a lot of the work that you do, and it's not necessarily like you overtly pursue this, you just find yourself in these situations, it sounds like, is you enter into messy, messy organizations and you enter into what many people would call a crisis situation. How do you prepare your internal character and what are the strategies that you think about whenever you enter into other people's crisis? First and foremost, again, simplify. Back to those four pillars, that helps season me and calm me in the clutch. Also knowing to come into it humbly that when they do tell you the problem, you don't go, oh my God. (laughs) Oh no. You've got to be solid. Mm. Because they're looking to you for help. It's like a lifeguard. When you look up that lifeguard and you know you're drowning, they're like, what do I do? That doesn't fill you with a lot of hope that you're getting out of this alive. Yeah, no kidding. And so you've got to understand also the humble honor that it is when someone comes to you for help. Hmm. And I would take that so seriously. That's, that's the biggest thing. I've had people come to me that were suicidal. I've had presidents of organizations that were like, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. Man. The fact that they would be that open and share that with me humbles me greatly. So we have a system that I call pay homage to the king. And I just come and I pay homage to those people because I'm there to serve those people. So I get myself in that mindset right away that I'm there to serve. And without that, if I come in like a lot of clients, there's this thing among people that do what I do, consultants, they say we kind of sometimes will blow in, blow up, and blow out. We're not here to do that. I'm not here to yell at you and tell you all the things you're doing wrong. You already know the things that you're doing wrong. I know that if I don't come and bring hope and I don't respect you personally and the situation you're in, I am not going to motivate you to move forward. And we've got to move forward. Mm. Well, Michael, I so appreciate your heart behind this. I think this business and leadership space right now is a space that is pretty crowded, honestly. And whenever you kind of survey the landscape of it, it feels like there's a lot that's being put out there because 
there's so much opportunity in the business and leadership space. And it's not because it's driven by a heart to serve. And it is, man, it's so clear after talking to you for two minutes that like your heartbeat is a drive to serve. And I just get the idea that it's like, man, if Michael didn't have this business, he'd literally be doing this for free. Like it's like, it's just, it's in his blood. And so I, I just so appreciate you taking the time for sharing so much wisdom and so many stories today, really, really powerful. Um, and man, I think this is going to be one that people listen to multiple times. Uh, I'm really stoked that you now have a lot of these ideas and thoughts in writing. So I'd love for you to share with with people a little bit about the book that you just released and what they can expect to get from it, Michael. So it's 3 a.m. and my phone rings. And on the other end of the line is a work colleague that I am not his boss. And he has a gun in his hand. And I have got to hope that I've influenced and loved him in such a way that he knows what I'm about to say next to him will cause him to want to live. Mm. And that's what the book is about. The book is about how to lead in that kind of way and to also to recognize your own personal greatness in such a way that you're not living through hopelessness, but you realize that you have control over your own life and you don't have to be the president of an organization to make a mighty, mighty, mighty influence and change in the lives of others. Hmm. The book is called Lead from the Middle, and I assume they can get it anywhere books are sold. Is that correct, Michael? Yeah, right now we have it on Amazon. Very good. Okay, so, so we'll put, put lead from the middle. It pops up right away, so that's pretty nice. Very good. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. And just speaking from knowing Michael, too, I can say this is a good book for the impact-driven leaders that own or run a business that we get to work with. I would also say this is a really good one to work through with your team because it's going to be hyper-practical. It's going to be inspiring around the character traits that it takes to lead really effectively. Like Michael just said, wherever you are on an org chart or within an enterprise. Michael, man, I so appreciate your time today. I appreciate your perspective. You're just a, a dear friend. I'm going to start calling you that now. And um, I hope so. <laughs> more than all that, too, I just appreciate the fact that you live it. You don't just talk about this stuff. You live this stuff. And I think out of that uh, comes just a, an invaluable sense of passion that has the ability to move other people. So I just so appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I just want to say one more thing. You know, I'm very passionate about listening right now, and I want to speak directly to you. You know, if you feel unloved this week, or you even have a minute of doubt, if God can love me, he can love you. And if you haven't heard it this week, we'll love you. And that alone, that kind of hope can move you forward. So just keep taking one step in front of the other. Don't overcomplicate life. Focus on doing the next right thing. And no matter what you're facing, you're going to get through it. I promise. Well, my goodness, I'm grateful for Michael's investment, for his time, for the life that he's living and the work that he and his team are doing. I hope that this conversation was valuable for you. If it was, please take time to rate this podcast and give it a review as well. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 